Hey everyone, live from the living room. So excited to open up the Word with you guys today. Before we do a thing, uh, would you join me in prayer? Let's ask the Lord uh, that He would speak to us through His Word and that He would meet us right in our homes today. And um, Lord, that He would heal also maybe some relationships today. Uh, that He would help us get a fuller idea or a more full understanding of what this beautiful life really could look like. I invite you, would you join me as we have a time of prayer really quick? Our Father, we're just so thankful as we open up the Word today. We're so thankful for a time of worship. God, we're so thankful for this season that's been as a mirror to us. God, it's caused us to rethink, to re-envision, to refocus, to create new rhythms. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to use this time and this season in our life uh, for the more than we could think or imagine. Um, Lord, would you speak to us as now as we open up the Word. And we are so grateful. Uh, for all that you're doing in and through our lives. And Lord, we pray and invite you to do all the more, even in this moment. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, real, real question. Uh, last week, how many of you guys, true question, you can, I encourage you, let us know this maybe. This is really good. Uh, how many of you guys tried extra toasty Cheez-Its after last week? Don't lie. I know some of y'all were super curious. You had never heard of those, so you went out and bought them, and you thought to yourself, Nasty? No. Some of y'all actually sent me a message, said you loved them. That's disgusting. Uh, but good job. Let us know. Did you try extra toasty cheeses last week? If you did, tell us what you think. Uh, better yet, post and tell Cheez-Its what you thought. Um, hey, last week also, I encouraged you with the challenge. And what was our challenge? Remember? Uh, if you uh, would, would you step closer to a relationship that's near you? I invited married couples to actually go on a date. All right, now, got some of your attention. And uh, some of you are still mad about your date because you didn't get it. Some of you are thankful, excited, awesome. All the above expected. Now, I have another challenge for you. And it leads into what we're going to be talking about today. I, I listened to a marriage counselor and I heard some great advice. The advice is this, did you know married couple, um, and if you're not married, listen, this is for you as well, you're, we're all going to learn through this process. Married couple, uh, you are supposed to kiss seven times a day and hug for 60 seconds every day. Healthy marriage. Now, that's my challenge this week. Every day, would you kiss seven times? Would you hug for 60 seconds? Now, some of you, now here's where it gets fun. Uh, if you didn't get the date you wanted last week, chances are uh, there's two people in the relationship. If you're not married, listen, listen up. This is what's coming. You think marriage is going to be a walk in the park for you. It's wonderfully challenging and it's going to mold you into the person you were meant to be for sure. Uh, married couples, you understand what I'm, what I'm about to say. In every relationship, in every marriage, chances are there's two different kinds of people. One of you loved the idea of date night. The other of you loves the idea of what I just challenged you for this week. Chances are both of you are a little bit different. You're faced with a decision this week. If you didn't get the date you wanted, uh, will you then do uh, this next challenge? In every relationship, uh, you go through some of these cycles or these decisions where they produce cycles. And uh, my wife and I are coming out of those, that, that very cycle. 
And so if that's you today, and I, I just want to encourage you that uh, as you walk through cycles like this and um, you step into kind of a, a brand new, um, I don't know, a, awakening or a brand new kind of um, experience together, uh, you come out on the other side of a cycle a lot stronger. And let this be, if, if you're walking through a cycle where things are just not moving along well, and you've been kind of ignoring, 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 let, these, let this be a time where cy- some cycles, negative cycles, are broken in our lives. And um, I, I want to encourage you with this. I want to invite you into maybe a brand new experience. And this is what we're going to be kind of talking about uh, this, this week, right now. We're going to look at We've been looking at the story of Paul, and he's been encouraging a group of people who haven't been reciprocating an encouragement. They're challenging to work with, and yet Paul continues to endure with the people. He sticks with them. He doesn't uh, leave them hanging, even though they are, they're just challenging. And uh, they continually do the very same thing, yet he continually does the very same thing And it's not what they expected. If you've got your Bible today, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 14 and 15. And I want to read to you uh, this. Before I do, I want us to think about this statement. Every life has a calling, but every calling has a compelling. Every life has a calling, but every calling has a compelling. Now, let's read the verse. Verse 14 and 15, Paul says, I'm here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Look at the example that that Paul is setting. Really think about some of these words that he's saying. You remember last week, if you missed last week, I want to catch you up just a little bit. Paul's basically bringing a defense for his own ministry to a group of people who have accused him. They've looked at his life and they've said, listen, uh, you've gone through hard times and uh, you're, you're not even a real apostle. And he's making a defense saying, man, here's the reality of the situation. You guys have forgotten what really constitutes a true apostle. You're evaluating poorly my life. And so he points them back to some of the true evaluations of what a true apostle's life looks like. And then uh, he begins to uh, remind them of who he has been in their life. Listen, some of these guys who are accusing me, they're using you. They They want you to give them what you have. He says, I'm not come and charged you a thing. I've just come to love you. I'm not asking you to give anything uh, that you have. I'm going to give my life to you. What is it? What, what is he? He's the third time I'm coming to you. You haven't reciprocated this. The third time I'm coming back. Have you ever felt like you've put all the work into a relationship before? Paul probably felt that, but he was persistent. Three times he was coming to a people who didn't reciprocate the love. He was persistent. But he was also patient in the middle of displaying what true apostleship looks like. He was also selfless. He says, I'm not coming to get anything from you. I didn't charge you a dime when I came down there. On my own money, I came down there. I spent my life. 
And then he describes to us, he shows us this joyful presence where he says, I'm glad to give you my life. I'm not doing this from bitterness. I'm not doing this to prove a point. I do this because it's, it's what's inside of me to do. I ultimately, you see the, the motivation or the compelling agent for Paul in this letter is at the end. He says, if I've loved you, I've loved you. Like I have a deep affection for you. Just like a parent to a child. What would it be like uh, for the parent to um, expect the child to give them what they needed? That doesn't make any sense. Listen, if, if you live uh, in, in a way that you draw life from what your child gives you, you're going to live a very crazy kind of life, an up and down kind of life, because you don't know what a child's going to give. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm not expecting you to give me life. I'm here to give you life. And it's motivated from a place of love. Uh, Paul had a relentless calling on his life, and he had a relentless compelling. I don't know if you saw this, but I've, I've been posting about during this quarantine time, I started a Smith farm. I, I'm a secret farmer, and uh, I, I bought chickens, and I got a couple goats, and uh, I've been, I uh, got a chainsaw. I've been, I've been just doing a lot of work around the house, having a blast, and I, and I realized I started getting all of my power tools out, and in, in the garage, uh, you'll have cans of gas. And I found out very quickly, if you don't have fresh gas, did you know it ruins everything that you have? Don't use old gas. It loses the compelling agent inside of it. And listen, if you put bad gas into some of your power tools, they won't won't work properly. What compelled Paul in this life that we are describing as beautiful? What compelled him? It was something that was actually lasting. It was something that was actually true. You see, if you're compelled by something that isn't quite beautiful and isn't quite true, you're going to find that you run out of energy or your life actually doesn't produce what you were meant to produce. You've got to be compelled by the right thing. Have you ever wondered, we talked about calling and compelling, have you ever wondered what your calling is? I find I talk to a lot of people that just want to know what, what I want to know what I'm called to. And I read, I came across an article from Huffington Post, and it was so interesting. They were talking about the difference between calling and whim. Like, what's the difference between when you know that you're called and you have a whim of a thought? And here's what they described. They described two different situations. Whim, they, they described as a sudden or capricious idea, an arbitrary thought or impulse. They described a calling as a vocation, a profession, or a trade, a call or a summons, a strong impulse or inclination. Really, if you break it all down, the very difference that they are saying between a whim and a calling is basically a stronger impulse or a stronger feeling, a more consistent feeling. Is that enough? I remember being a young boy thinking, you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be Batman one day. I didn't just think this. It was every aspect of my life. I mean, every, every, when I woke up, I thought about being Batman. I dreamt about it. I drew about it. Every aspect of my life was, how am I going to become Batman? According to this definition, did I miss a calling? And if your calling is based only on a whim or a thought, not just a whim, but a, a deep feeling, then at what point... Do some of the things like a calling to a marriage or a calling to a friend or a calling to a neighbor, a calling, like a a true commitment, a consistent being there, 
actually get to just change because I don't feel it anymore. I got a strong impulse that this isn't working out. It's, I got a negative feeling that's really strong. Thus, I have a different calling in my life. I think a lot of people live in that space. A lot of people have accepted this as truth. And thus, they're experiencing a life that seems to go up and down. We were meant to be very, very consistent people as believers. This is really the beautiful life, and we see that modeled in the life of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was really the same kind of person. But it was because he was compelled by one unique thing. It's something that you were meant to be compelled by as well. It's described, Paul describes this truth that he was compelled by. He was compelled by this law of love on his life. And he describes that in 1 Corinthians 13. And it says, he describes love like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And here it is. It endures all things. It means it stays to the end. It's the same. It's consistent. But you know what? He isn't describing himself here. He's describing the very character of God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says that love comes from God. God is love. It really describes and says the very essence of who God is. This ultimately describes God. This is love. And unless God loves us, how can we love? We don't have the capacity. Love is from God. Love isn't from us. I'm not God, but God is God. So, Lord, what do I do? How can I receive this thing that can compel me and transform my life and transform the lives of others around me? How in the world could I ever be compelled by such a thing if I don't have the capacity to produce it in myself? I believe Paul gives us the answer in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The word comfort in this passage is a very, very important word. It's a unique word. It's parakletos. It's a Greek word. But this word uh, means that somebody who sits alongside you the same exact word that Jesus says when he describes the Holy Spirit. He calls him the comforter, the one who sits alongside of you. But this word is a very, very important word to understand because it infers this idea of a courtroom scene. The one who sits alongside a defendant, a defense attorney, if you will. So what he's saying is, in the courtroom, uh, as God has been a comfort to me, as he's been the one who's come to my defense, who's stated my case, who's pled for me to the judge, and I've received comfort by his defense of me, thus I defend you. You see, if Paul's comfort was what somebody else's response was, or what somebody else's defense of his life was, or what somebody else did for him, then he's going to live almost a schizophrenic life. It's going to be up and down. But the truth of what what love is and what the character of God is, that love is patient and kind. It shows no record of wrong. It's consistent and endures through all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It's there no matter what, every single second of the day. 
what Paul had discovered was that Jesus met him on the road, transformed his life, called him out, but it didn't stop on that road. It continued every single day of his life. And every single day of his life, the comforter was sitting next to him, reminding him, Paul, I'm with you. Paul, this is who I am. When everyone else abandoned you, I have not. I'm sitting right next to you. And from the comfort that he drew from the defender, his defender, his defense attorney, his star witness, by the way, and ultimately the judge. And who is the judge? The scripture says that the ultimate judge is the one who earned the right to actually judge. His name is Jesus. So think about the courtroom that Paul's talking about. He enters definitely a flawed human, a flawed man. And yet, what does he enter into? Yes, there is an accuser. And according to the Bible, we know who that is. There is someone who's accusing you constantly. You this, you did this, you did this, you deserve this, you deserve this. And yet what Paul is saying today is that we have a defender. We have a comforter. We have someone in the place of great honor. So alongside of you, you have this Holy Spirit who's reminding you, bringing to remembrance a defense. And then the star witness enters in and his name is Jesus. And he says, I hear the defense and I want to I state my side of the story. You see, I was there. I paid the price for this guy right here. I, I did it. And then they look to the judge and who's the judge? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a rigged courtroom. <laughs> Jesus is, seating in the, is seated as the judge and he says, I hear the defense. I hear the accusation. I see the star witness that enters. And guess what? I declare this one not guilty because of the witness of the one who is with him, Jesus now, from that comfort, he leaves the courtroom and extends what he received in the courtroom. I believe every single one of us who's hearing this story today understands the courtroom scene that plays in your mind. Does it play in your mind? It plays in mine. Every day I have a, I have a decision. There's a courtroom. There's evidence that's coming, that's flowing. Now, I have a conscious decision every single day. Here's what I want, to, I want to leave you with today. I want to invite you into, um, what seat are you, are you sitting at the courtroom today in your mind? What position have you taken? Because if you're honest today, um, every one of us is a little bit broken, a little bit flawed. We've miss, missed the mark at some place. So if evidence is brought against you, uh, you could be declared guilty. There's, there's some imperfection about you. There's imperfection about me. Well, you have a decision every day. What seat will you sit in the courtroom? If you take the seat of the judge, uh, which many of us end up doing, you'll find yourself becoming an accuser often. You'll evaluate the evidence and you'll stop really evaluating yourself. I want to remind you that that seat was meant to be sat in by someone else. Are you afraid to sit in the chair of defense today? Are you afraid of that seat? Why? Would you receive this beautiful truth today that Jesus is offering to be your defense? He's offering to state the case for you. This is exactly what we talk about every single week, but I believe it's a picture that can come alive in your mind because I believe there's a courtroom playing out every day as the evidence is presented, 
You know the truth. And so does Jesus. But here's a truth that trumps all of these things. Is that Jesus looks and says, I paid the price for that. It's mine. I did it. Put it on me. This one's mine. If you need to be acquitted today, I mean, you need the slate wiped clean today. You can have that through Jesus. Receive that. Receive this fresh reminder that there's actually a compelling far beyond some of just the simple evidence that brought against you. There's a, there's a greater compelling that's meant to drive you, not the stuff that is against you, but the stuff is actually for you. You see, Paul knew it was for him, so he extended to the Corinthian church the same kind of love that he was being extended. He gave away what he had received. That's the very same comfort that he's talking about in chapter 1. He had received a comfort, thus comfort was flowing from him. He was able to endure all things because love had been extended to him. And as he received love, so, so love flowed. If maybe you've entered a cycle of your life today, and maybe you and your spouse or you in any relationship, think relational context, that's what's happening in this church. Do you desire to see relationships restored in your life? I believe this passage holds a key, holds a secret that invites you into a beautiful way of restoration. Stop trying to look uh, for the evidence that might acquit you or acquit them. See the true evidence that actually acquits, which is Jesus. Receive it for yourself and then understand that the evidence brought forward for you, which is Christ himself, is also actually extended to them as well. Would you invite them to receive and accept this free gift? And would you both step into restoration together, knowing that you sit in the same seat in the courtroom? You both need a defense. And Jesus has promised to defend you both. That's really good news. And as this truth trumps every other truth, I believe he brings beauty into every single relationship that we have. It's the cycle breaker. It's the beauty creator. And his name is Jesus. It all goes back to him. Now as you leave the courtroom today, seeing this picture in your mind, would you go and do as has been done for you? This is exactly what Paul does to the Corinthian church. This was Paul's beautiful compelling in his calling. His beautiful compelling was love. And I believe this same love is extended to you today. Would you allow Jesus to be your defense? And would you receive from him what he has declared over you? Not guilty, mine, loved, forever, bearing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things to the end, never to be finished with you and for you. This is really good news. Now, let's go extend the same comfort that's been comforted to us. Father, I'm just so thankful that you are our defense. God, that you are uh, the one who is judge. God, that you are um, the good judge. God, you are filled with a love that is uh, incomparable and, and too great for even us to fathom. But God, thank you for this picture of the courtroom today as we understand, God, that you have defended us. The evidence is being presented and you have declared us not guilty. What, a, what an amazing truth. We receive that today and we're thankful. Just as Paul is thankful, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with great joy as we walk with our spouses, as we walk with our neighbors, as our friends and people that have broken relationships right now. God, I pray that you would give them 
the power to actually see restoration. Uh, Lord, would you bring about a restoring spirit among us? And would you bring us together in unity that we might be compelled uh, into the world who doesn't have this hope? This is what we were made for. May it uh, turn our eyes back to the truth, the really true, beautiful life, and compel us forward in the days ahead. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us, fam. We'll see you next week.